0: Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Sermon Podcast. Our purpose at Ablaze is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, and tell others. If you are looking for a church home in the Tulsa area, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at ablazechurch.org. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then in Romans 12, St. Paul says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So let me begin with a question. Do you think that Christianity in this country is on its way up or kind of on its way down? What do you think? Kind of down, yeah. Unfortunately, I think you're right. Um, So my goal this morning is to encourage you that even though you see Christianity declining in this country, there are areas in the world that where God is working amazing things, but you just don't see it every day because you're, you're in Broken Arrow or you're in, in Tulsa. But I want to share with you, together with my wife, Lula. Lula, will you wave? My wife joined me this morning. I'm so, so happy for that. So he has sent us, along with, if you include the children, over 300 missionaries from the LCMS who are all all parts of the world, so he has sent us to areas where we can see the gospel exploding and Lutheran Christianity exploding that is amazing that you might not be aware of here in in this part of Oklahoma. So I'm going to start by talking about two countries here on the planet, two countries which are some of the most least Christian there are. And by comparison, if you look at the United States, compared to these two countries, the US is doing great. So the first country I'm going to talk about is a country where only 1% of the population is Christian. 98% of the population is Muslim, and the other percent is Hindu. And this is a country in which, I believe in 2011, we caught and killed bin Laden. So you might know what country I'm talking about. Okay, this is Pakistan. And um, one of my jobs as a missionary, I seem to have at least three or four different hats. One of the hats is to serve as, a, as an instructor at Riga Luther Academy, which is a Lutheran online seminary uh, based in Riga, Latvia in Northern Europe, former Soviet Union, by the way, and there, we are teaching, I say we, together with three or four other um, docents, we are, we are teaching future pastors, Lutheran pastors. And right now, we have 27 um, men who are training, and actually a few women training to become deaconesses, and they come from 13 different countries. Most countries in Europe, three of these men are from Africa, and eight of these 27 men From Pakistan. And so most of these classes are, 80% of them are online. And if you've, in the past two years, if you've done, who has done any Zoom? Zoom, yeah, (laughs) look at that. (laughs) More than half of that Zoom. So Zoom is good as far as it goes, right? Or Microsoft Teams, whatever. But at a certain point, you need real interaction, right? And so twice a year, we meet with these 27 people and teach them in person. And so, about six weeks ago, another um, uh, pastor and I, Dr. John Bombaro, we flew into Islamabad, the capital of Pakistan, to meet these eight Pakistani men who are training to become Lutheran pastors. And uh, so, I can share this story with you. It's actually pretty exciting. So, um, we're flying into Pakistan, and I only have half a visa because the visa process for Pakistan was grueling and there were all kinds of technical problems or some kind of problem and they said well basically you'll you'll get visa one you apply online but visa two you'll get at the airport when you land in Islamabad on a Monday morning at 3am so I thought who in the world is going to be there on a Monday morning at 3am to take care of my visa otherwise they'll, they'll send me right back to Germany so anyway we get there there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of people milling about at 3 in the morning. And uh, they're all standing in line and trying to get their visas and so on. And so we land and we walk into the terminal. And then this guy in a uniform comes up to us, to Dr. Bambaro and me, and said, um, has pictures of us. He says, is this you? And all I could think of is bin Laden. And um, yeah, that, that's us. He says, come this way. I said, oh man, this is off to a bad start. And so there are all these hundreds of people milling about, standing in line. He takes us to an empty counter. He says, give me your passports. So we give him the passports. He looks at them, stamp, stamp. Here are your passports. You're free to go. I thought, what was that all about? And so our, our Lutheran friends picked us up and I said, did you see that? So they just, they just fast-tracked us. He said, what, what was that? And they said, very simple. That customs inspector was a Christian, and he knows you are a Christian. And here in Pakistan, all the Christians work together. And even though it's a country with ninety-eight percent Muslims, they all wear crosses, and they are very, very open and very bold with their faith. They are not afraid. They are not afraid. I would, to be honest, I would say they are, they are bolder than many of us Americans who are afraid to say we're Christians because we'll step on some toes or because it's not in vogue or politically incorrect or whatever. Shame on us, I'm, honestly. These people are literally laying down their lives and risking their lives for their fellow Christians. So anyway, so we flew there for these eight Pakistani men. Next morning, we walk into the classroom There are 20 other people, in addition to the eight men. Who are are these people? turns out they are Pentecostal pastors, all from Islamabad, all of whom want to become Lutheran pastors. And these, actually it's 19 men. These 19 men are a subset of 200 Pentecostal pastors in the same area and their congregations, who all want to become Lutheran. The total population of these congregations is well over 100,000 people. They all want to become Lutherans. So someone would say well, several things, for, but you're a missionary, you're supposed to, to reach people who don't know Christ. Pentecostals do, fair enough. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the main point is, with these 100,000 people, we have 100,000 missionaries, if you will, who can connect to the Muslims. That's the thing. And being white and Caucasian and all of that stuff, we cannot reach the locals the way these Lutheran Pakistanis can. right? So God is providing 100,000 missionaries to reach out to the 240,000, about 239 million Muslims in Pakistan. Now, someone says, well, wait a minute, yeah, I'm a, I mean, he's a, he's a missionary. I'm not a missionary. Well, yes, you are missionaries. Every Christian is a missionary. Because as we just heard in the children's sermon, every Christian is called to, to share Christ. And someone says, well, I don't know how to share Christ. It's all too complicated. Well, you can make it complicated. Fair enough. But the easiest way to be a missionary is to invite your friends and your family to church. That's the simplest way. And let the professionals, so to speak, let them take care of the theology, right? But you can invite your friends and family. So here we have these um, almost 30 men training to become Lutheran pastors. So that was the first country I wanted to tell you about. The other country, one of the least Christian on the planet, is a land that we once knew as the land of Luther, namely Germany. And that is where Lula and I are based. So we live in Hamburg, which is up in northern Germany. Germany is, as is all of Europe, to be honest, or most of Europe, is post-Christian. So only 5% of people living in Germany have an act of faith and go to church not even weekly, but maybe once a month. Only 5%. So what once was the birthplace or the rediscovery place of the gospel in 1517 with Martin Luther is no longer. In fact, eastern Germany, the eastern half that used to be communist, is even today the second most atheist region on the planet, second only to North Korea. Um, I, have, I have seen people walk from East Germany, walk into churches and they say, What is that? Who, who is that gymnast on that that cross device on the wall? That's how far gone Christianity is for many people in Germany. The LCMS has sister churches all over the world. In total, by the way, we are in fellowship with about 30 million Lutherans around the world. So the sister church, I just told you about the one in in Pakistan that is growing. The one in Germany, the acronym is S-E-L-K. So it's it's a long German thing. I won't bore you with that. It's sort of like Pfaffergnügen, right? It's one of those long things that no one can pronounce. And so it is quite small, 35,000 people in a country of, of over 80 million. So there are very, very few Lutherans in Germany. But as we said, as Christianity is kind of waning a little bit in the United States, that too the SELK, these 35,000, that Lutheran church in Germany is also growing, uh, or uh, is, is shrinking. With the exception of one segment, and that is many, many Iranians are joining the Lutheran church in Germany. Here's a fascinating statistic. There are right now roughly 400,000 Persians in Germany. When I say Persian, that means Iranians and Afghans. So many of them came in in 2015. You remember when Germany opened the borders? Remember all those millions of people came in? And so about 400,000 were uh, Persian. They're still coming. And when they enter Germany, God bless the Germans, they have to fill out a form, or many forms, and one of the forums says, what religion are you? And so the Germans are tracking this. And 37% of these people entering Germany from Iran and Afghanistan cite Christian, Christian or leaning towards Christianity. Only 32% cite Islam. And that is in a country that is 99.9%. Or actually, to be honest, I think it's In theory, I think it's 100% Islam, at least according to the books. So Christianity is in first place with these people. Islam in second, and the remaining 30-some percent, by the way, that's nothing. It's atheists or so. Now, someone might say, well, these 37%, many of them must must be checking the Christian box because they want free food and free money and everything in Germany, which is true for some. But nonetheless, something really, really big is going on in Iran. Let me give you another statistic. So I work with Iranians every day. And I serve in two different um, SELK congregations in Hamburg. And in total, the the Persian population of these two German churches is about one-third. So only two-thirds are Germans, one-third is Iranian or Afghan. So I ask these people, I see them all the time, and so I say, if the Islamic regime, the Mullahs, Ayatollah, in Iran, in Tehran, if they were to disappear tomorrow, what percentage of Iranians do you think would become Christian? The number I hear over and over and over again is between 80 to 90%. Now think about that, if that is true, and I just love this. I don't love it, but it's so ironic. If that is true, Iran would become more Christian than the United States. Think about that. In all places of Iran, right? That's the country that we had the hostages and all of that stuff with Jimmy Carter and all. So, so the question is, or several questions. Why are these Muslims including the ones in Pakistan and Iran, why are they fleeing Islam? What's going on? So that would be a whole Bible class we could do on that. But the short answer is, Islam is legalistic and cruel. It's a cruel religion. And the ones, as you might imagine, who are fleeing Islam the fastest are the women. Because the women really are fourth class citizens. By the way, this is just an aside. Um, do all of you know where Emmanuel Lutheran Church is in Broken Arrow? Okay. Did you know that right across the street, behind the car wash, that there's a very, very strict mosque there in that industrial area? Um, I have been inside that mosque and I have listened to the sermons. Really, really tough. They deny Jesus. They say he never died. He never rose again. Jesus is a fake and really, really bad. So, but getting back to the women, a number of weeks ago, we did a Bible study in Persian in Hamburg with all all Iranians, most of them women. And we read from the New Testament, the story in John 8 of Jesus and the adulterous woman. You remember that story. Woman is caught in adultery and the, her accusers want to stone her. Note that they just want to stone her. Where's the guy? How come he's not being stoned? So it's just off. So, and they bring her to Jesus and Jesus sits down and starts writing something in the dirt. The scripture doesn't say what it is. My personal guess is that is the names of the mistresses of the accusers but whatever it was they 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 take off right and then the only ones left are Jesus and the woman and so jesus says where are your accusers and she said i don't know they're gone and he says two things he says your sins are forgiven and Go and sin no more. So we're reading this from the New Testament in Persian. These women in the Bible class, they've never heard the story. They don't know how it's going to end. They are hanging on the edge of their seats. They are gripping the table because they're saying, this is is Iran. This is is Iran in 2022. Our women are being stoned if they commit adultery. The men also not, by the way. This is not... This is 2,000 years ago, but we are experiencing this in our own country. We are not experiencing for, your sins are forgiven. We're getting stones, we're being put to death. This is why we want Christianity. Islam does not offer this. On the contrary, we want the gospel, we want the forgiveness of sins. We want to be with Jesus forever. This is why women are coming to to Christianity in droves. And you're not hearing about this on the news. You're hearing about people who convert from Christianity to Islam. You're never hearing about it the other way around. And I, I, I dare say that there are more conversions to Christianity than from Christianity. So that's the one question. So why are these people fleeing Islam and coming to Christianity? Another question you might ask yourself, what's with those Pentecostals? Those Pentecostals are already saved. Fair enough. But why are they leaving Pentecostalism? Why do they want Lutheran Christianity? And there, again, the simple answer is because Lutheran Christianity gives you the clearest teaching of the ancient faith. No other denomination and sad to say there are tens of thousands of christian denominations on the planet no other christian denomination gives you the goods as clearly as lutheran christianity because all the others they make they make two mistakes one large group takes away essential teachings of the new testament namely the sacraments that they ignore baptism they ignore the Lord's Supper, or they have a, a watered-down form. And that is essential. That is absolutely essential to Christianity. Baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. And many, many groups ignore that. And then there's another, another group and, or certain denominations that they add stuff that is not in the New Testament. They add things like purgatory, or the worship of saints, the worship of Mary, all of this stuff, that is not Christian. It's its essentially, it's a false teaching. And then to look at the Pentecostals, there's a different problem there. Many of you know that what they teach there is, it's called the prosperity gospel. And so all of the churches that we visited there, all Pentecostal, they're all in the slums, in Islamabad. You're talking about slums? The U.S. doesn't have slums like that. It's really, really bad. Really bad. And so what what they have heard so far is if if you're a Christian, you will become healthy and wealthy. And so they become Christian, and then six months later, they're still sick and they still live in the slums. So obviously Christianity didn't work. And so what does the pastor tell them? Well, the problem is not Christianity, the problem is with you. You did not believe hard enough. So believe harder, and then you will become healthy and wealthy. Well, that's, that's not in the New Testament, right? On the contrary, in the, the New Testament, the, um, a key teaching is the so-called theology of the cross. It means John 16, where Jesus says, in this life, you will have tribulation. He doesn't say you might. He says you will, in no matter whatever form it might be. That is the reality. But he, it, he ends that phrase by saying, but I have overcome the world, right? So um, tribulation in life is, is normal. And if in your life right now you're not experiencing tribulation, praise God. It is, it's a good thing but it's actually not the norm. The norm is trouble, right? So anyway, these people are experiencing this, and they would say, we've had enough of it. And the, the, the kicker, the absolute kicker, one of the lead pastors of these, of these 19, Pentecostal pastor, much like in Lutheran terms we would call a circuit visitor. So he's kind of like He's kind of like the um, first among equals, but he represents many um, Pentecostal churches in his area. So this man had been a pastor for 15 or 20 years. He inherited the church from his dad, Pentecostal pastor, um, who had led the church for 30 years. So 50 years of Pentecostalism. And so we're there, so Dr. Bombaro and I, and then this pastor grabs the mic And says, brothers and sisters, we need to repent of our Pentecostalism because we have been getting it wrong. Life is not about prosperity. I have been teaching you wrong for the past 15 years. He didn't say that his dad had done the same, but it was implied. I thought, man, this is a a 1517 moment. This is October 31st, 1517 in Islamabad. Repent. That was the first thing that Luther wrote, repent. And I thought, this is amazing. He said, we want to go back to the original ancient teachings. And Lutheran Christianity is the place where we'll get it best. So I talked to this pastor later, and I said, I said, that was gutsy. I said, what did your dad say to that? He said, my dad's good with it. Wow. So, 100,000 plus Lutherans on their way. So, by the way, getting back to what's going on in Iran, that 80 or 90% would convert to Christianity, the LCMS is preparing for that day when the mullahs will be gone. We are preparing videos Um, many 10-minute videos on the essentials of Christianity. The first three have already been um, filmed. They are on the atonement, on holy baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And they are being dubbed into the local languages by native speakers. So they've already been dubbed into Dari, which is the language in in much of um, uh, Afghanistan. Urdu, which is a language in much of um, Pakistan. Farsi, Iran, Arabic, Spanish, and Mandarin. So you've, you've, got, you've got the majority of the world right there. And these videos are going to be disseminated via TikTok and Instagram and whatnot. If you don't know what TikTok is, ask your 13-year-old. He'll tell, he or she will tell you all about what it is. So so we are preparing for, for tomorrow, right? Your LCMS missionaries are at work. Uh, and in collaboration with the Office of International Mission in uh, St. Louis. So this is really, really exciting stuff. So again, as you see, Christianity may be kind of, kind of shriveling up a little bit here. Be encouraged by what is going on in other parts of the world, which is where Christianity, Lutheran Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds. So we've been talking about Iran and Germany and the United States, in Pakistan and in various degrees, these regions and others, they are like the, the path and the rocky ground and the thorns in the parable of the sower. And yet, in all of these countries, God is giving us a cause for hope. Why? Because he is taking former Muslims, he is taking former agnostics, he is taking former atheists, and turning them into his people, into his missionaries. Just on a side note, I was in one of those groups um, 25 years ago, I'm 65 now, I had not heard the gospel until I was 40. So I myself am a convert to Christianity, right? So what is going on here? Um, is happening before your very eyes that God is turning the, the thorns and the rocky ground and and the path and is turning is planting seeds in the good soil so you are you are all part of the good soil right because you are here you're talking about building a new church next door and all of these exciting things right and so this is exciting stuff and God is using you and and all the other broken down but yet redeemed sinners to grow his kingdom in this place. Martin Luther once said that the gospel is like a rain shower. It, it travels over the land and, and rains. And you don't know whether that cloud, that, that full of water, is going to come back to that spot or not. It seems that that is actually true for Germany. It, it drenched Germany. 500 some years ago. And now it's, it's dried up. It's post-Christian. But yet the Lord is sending these gospel showers to other regions of the, of the earth in Muslim countries in Eastern Africa, in, in Southeastern Africa. Did you know on the island? So Madagascar, you think of the cartoon show. It's fine. So, but it's actually an island. It really exists. There are, there are more Lutherans on the island of Madagascar than there are in North America. So in one of my my favorite statistics, the average Lutheran on the planet today is not Scandinavian and shriveled up guy eating sardines or something like that. The average Lutheran today is 19 years old, black, and female. Statistically, that is your average Lutheran. So the old Northern Europeans are all kind of, they're blowing away. The new Lutherans are basically kind of around the equator, right? So God is doing amazing, amazing things there. So it is amazing to behold these things firsthand, to travel to these countries, to see how the Lord is is working in areas that that, uh, have kind of shriveled up, and to see these brand new Trees. I mean, it's more than bushes. It's gigantic trees of Christianity growing before our very eyes. And so, Lula and I, um, you have sent us. You LCMs um, friends have sent us there to represent you in these countries to um, to do the Lord's work, right? So the Lord is using us, broken down, redeemed sinners to grow his kingdom. And it's, uh, we thank you for your support, individuals here at Ablaze and our Savior and the other LCMS churches around Tulsa. It's a fantastic thing, and we, we couldn't do it without you. Let's get a little bit closer to home now. So we're talking about the path and the, the thorns and the rocky areas um, in regions. Maybe that is a situation in your life today. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you are strangling in thorns right now. And if it's not you, maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your, your extended relatives. I want to share with you a, a wonderful passage. It, hopefully you're familiar with it, but I want to uh, present it to you again. It's from, Sirkin, from 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 through 12, where Paul has a conversation with Jesus, and how Jesus encourages him. So Jesus says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what Jesus is saying is this. He says, My grace is sufficient for you. For some people, God has blessed you with all kinds of material things. Maybe he's blessed you with a home. Maybe he's blessed you with more than one car. Maybe he's blessed you with a portfolio. Maybe he's blessed you with with family and with all kinds of things. And these are all excellent things. Excellent. But they're all going to go away. The car, most certainly. The house, too. Right? Right? How long does a 30-year roof last? 10 years, right? So, but he says, my grace is sufficient. He says, the other things are good, but they're going to go away. But what you really need is my grace. That's, that's basically all you need. But here's the thing. He has given you that grace in your baptism. And no one can snatch it away. In other words, the most important thing you need in this life and the next, you already have. All the other things are nice, but they're going to go away, including your health. It's going to go away, too, one of these days. Or it's already on its way down. <laughs> but Jesus' grace, he's not going to take that away. And so then he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Is that chalice still there from last night? Yes, it is. May I borrow it again? So, here's a chalice. This is you. And let's assume it is full of water. That water is all your stuff. It's your house, it's your portfolio, it's your kids, it's your health, it's your eyesight, it's your hearing, all of these things. And little by little, as opposed to what the prosperity gospel would say, Jesus is going to pour out your water. And that hurts. It hurts when your health goes downhill. It hurts when you have those struggles with your kids. It hurts when your marriage is in trouble, et cetera, et cetera. He's going to pour that out. But here's the thing. The more water he pours out, the more room there is for his wine. And one of these days, he's going to take your chalice and turn it upside down. There'll be nothing left. Because the last thing he'll take away from you is your heartbeat. And then you will be completely full of his wine. So that's why Paul can reply and say, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, Paul says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I just love that last line. So when I am weak, in other words, when all of this stuff is being poured out, it makes all the more room for Jesus. And when He says, "When I am strong," that is not Paul's or your, or mine strength, because in many of these situations we don't have strength. We don't know what to do with this mess. We can't fix the cancer. We can't fix the the the, the loved one who's died, etc. But then I am strong because it's Christ's strength. It's Christ's wine. And that is why Paul, it's, it makes no sense to the human mind. That's why he's boasting of this. He said, I'm glad when these bad things happen to me because it makes more room for Jesus. Right? That's what it means to be a Christian. So even when life hits you between the eyes, in the Holy Spirit, whom you received in your baptism, you can actually rejoice. What what does Paul say in Philippians 4.4? Rejoice in all things. I say rejoice. How can that be? How can I rejoice over this stuff? Well, you can rejoice because it's making more room for Jesus' wine. Right? So, these Pakistanis and Iranians and Afghans and Germans too, by the way, they ask me or ask us, so what does it mean to be a Christian? So you can get all complicated with that, but you can make it really simple. You can say to be a Christian is to know that Jesus has forgiven all your sins. Doesn't mean the sins are gone. It just means that when the Father looks at you, he sees not you or me, he sees his own Son. Because Christ's righteousness has covered all of our sins. To be a Christian means to realize in the Holy Spirit that Jesus has defeated your. Sin, death, and the devil. Jesus has defeated your sin. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore. Because we, remember, we still have the old Adam shackled to us until we die. right? Hopefully, we're not going to go out and willfully sin. But we are going to, with that old Adam, we are going to continue to be stupid and say hurtful things and be lustful and all of that stuff. But Jesus has covered that and... Satan is no longer your ruler. Jesus is your ruler. So Jesus has defeated sin. Jesus has defeated your death. Unless Jesus comes first at the second coming, we're all going to wind up in an urn or a casket. But that time in the urn or the casket is going to be temporary. Just like... In Mark, the 12 year old girl, right? She was dead for minutes or hours, but Jesus raised her up again, right? For us, it's going to be longer than, than hours, it'll be years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, doesn't matter, but it's still temporary because we'll be raised up at the last day, and so your future is absolutely glorious because of Jesus these 70 or 90 or 100, 100 years that you spend here on this earth, the good times and the bad times. That's all literally a drop in the ocean compared to the time the eternity you will spend with Jesus in heaven. So Jesus has defeated your death, and Jesus has also defeated the devil for you. Doesn't mean that Satan is not going to continue to attack you. Yes, he will. But Jesus has defanged Satan for you. Satan is much like the little old man behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. Making a lot of noise, a lot of thunder, scary, but pull the curtain back like Toto snuck under the curtain and it's, it's just a little old guy. Has no power over you. Because remember, Satan is a creature, a creature, just like you and I are creatures, whereas Christ is the creator. Christ is infinitely more powerful than Satan, right? And as baptized Christians who who cling to the faith, Satan can bother you, but he has no more power over you. That's what it means to be a Christian, And it also means to know, to be a Christian, that Jesus Christ is always with you. As he says at the end of Matthew 28, I will be with you always until the end of the earth. So Jesus is with you. The best way he's with you is, of course, in the true body and blood, which we unfortunately didn't have today, but you'll get it soon. He is with you in scripture. He is with you in your Christian community, wherever two or three are gathered. And remember when you, or if you, let me just say, if you skip church, you are not only depriving yourselves from the love of your Christian brothers and sisters, you are also depriving them because they need you. They need you and your shoulders to hang on to and to cry on. So you're actually doing double damage to yourself and to others if you skip church. And perhaps most importantly, as we think of the, the thorns and the rocky places in Iran and in Afghanistan and in Pakistan and in Germany and in a certain way also in the United States, we look at that, we recall in the Holy Spirit that when we are weak, Jesus provides us with his strength. When he pours out or allows our water to be poured out, he always refills it with wine. And the less of us there is, it's basically what John the Baptist said, the less of me there is, the more there is for him, of him. And that's, that's a good thing, right? So all of this, in light of things going on and they have to sell our savior and it's all sad and so but i hope you were encouraged this morning to hear what the lord is doing in other parts of the world and in spite of what may be going on in your life difficult things and so on um, the lord is telling you this morning that you can rejoice in hope and he gives you the patience to deal with the tribulation in your life. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more information or to support Reverend Teves and his family, go to lcms.org/teves.